I'm Daniel Vinspicky. I'm James Wilger. And this is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. Are you interested in learning more about our church? Go to Bethlehem.church forward slash location forward slash south dash campus. Today, Dave, we've got Bruce Power with us. Bruce, welcome. Thank you. Bruce is a co-elder on the Elder Board here at South Campus. And Bruce, as with every time that we open up this podcast, we ask our guests random questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous are you? 2. 2? Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, you if guys the, are a low threat. Yeah, we're a low threat. Okay. So if one question is about your wedding day and the other question is about the nature of your day job, which of those two question groups would you prefer? Oh, ask me about my wedding day. So, Bruce, I heard from a, a still small voice, a little bird, that uh, your wedding day did not go completely as planned, but there were some, some wrenches in the gears in the works. Tell me about your wedding day, Bruce. Well, I'm not sure what that little bird meant by that. There were several wrenches in the plans. Um, one was some relatives on my side of the family didn't show up to the to the ceremony on time and my mother made a big fuss and made us delay the ceremony, much to Karen's chagrin. <laughs> Another one was I discovered that an old friend of mine had become a Christian. I mean, this is a guy that um, I hadn't seen in probably two or three years, and the last time I saw him, we had partied together. Neither one of us were believers at the time, and then next time I see him, he's at our wedding reception praying over his meal. And oh, wow. I'm going, and, and that was a little piece of the puzzle that was moving me toward Christ. Hmm. Uh, so those are a couple of things that I hadn't planned. And <laughs> Was there anything having to do with a wedding photographer at your wedding? Well, yes, the photographer uh, certainly didn't do a very good job. <laughs> to My put wedding, mildly. too. My wedding, too. Maybe we have the same We have very few usable pictures out of that wedding. <laughs> so it's a pretty small album. We uh, didn't really get any pictures from our wedding. The guy went bankrupt shortly after. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yes. Dave, how did your uh, wedding day go with the photographer? Is it fine? Uh, our photographer seemed very angry the whole time <laughs> she was there her, her her last words to us were can we cut the cake quick so i can get out of here mm, that's what you pay them for to which two young <laughs> young naive people did we just listened <laughs> see you later <laughs> whatever we might be paying you that's right well today the topic is ethnic harmony on the podcast and we brought bruce in Bruce, I thought I'd start out by asking you. You've been here, so I've been here since 2010. Dave, how long have you, what was the, when did you first start attending Bethlehem before seminary? 2006. 2006. And Bruce, when did you first come to Bethlehem? 1998. So Bruce has been here 22 years now. Um, could you sketch for us, Bruce, in your time here, or maybe even with awareness from before your time, um, a kind of history at Bethlehem of conversations surrounding ethnic harmony. I know that back in the 80s, it was like uh, there's a big push with Pastor Tom Steller and others towards um, the glory of God among the nations. Did that predate discussions about ethnic harmony? Just where did that all begin? Yeah, 
I don't really know exactly where it started. I think it, I mean, if you read Pastor John's book, Bloodlines, it goes back quite a ways in his life, and he tried to work it into the life of the church. I'm not sure exactly where the January, once a year, at least once a year January sermon started on racial harmony issues, but that was probably in the late 80s, early 90s. That uh, So we would do a sermon on the Word, a sermon on prayer, a sermon on, on uh, a pro-life sermon, and then a racial harmony sermon. Um, it was part of the Vision and Values booklet that grew out of uh, a revamping of the church's mission statement back in 1994. Uh, so there were pieces in there that were incorporated right into the priorities and, and um, emphases that Bethlehem was going to be about back then. In the early 2000s, not long after we got here, just a couple years after we arrived, uh, they began to have a, a series of racial harmony roundtables where this, of course, we were all one campus at this time, so uh, it one was church. people one of different, yes, okay, <laughs> um, people of different ethnic backgrounds uh, gathering at the downtown campus to have discussions either around a book or some topic of, of the day, and that was about once a month that would happen. I mentioned the annual sermons. Uh, sometimes they were more often than that if it impacted on the passage of scripture he was preaching on. He wrote a book, I believe, 2010, Bloodlines, uh, that came out. I remember the 2002 Pastors Conference was on the sovereignty of God and the soul dynamic. That was all devoted to the subject of ethnic harmony in the church and how we could work to bring, bring about a, a reconciliation and work together as believers and unite around common theological truths. Um, and then I would just say that Bethlehem, as you mentioned at the beginning, Bethlehem's emphasis on missions. We've always had a heart for all different people groups, and that's been driven by those passages in Revelation where we see people from every tribe and tongue, language and nation around the throne. Our desire isn't simply to reach out to people groups who are across oceans, but even ethnic groups that are in our backyard. Yeah, with the love of Jesus and the gospel. Um, so why, I mean, Dave, Bruce, why use the language ethnic harmony with the, the adjective ethnic instead of racial harmony or race or other things like that? Is there a particular reason that Pastor John and Bethlehem has chosen to use that as language instead of race? Yeah, I'll take a... I'll take a stab at it, and then Bruce can correct anything I say wrong. Everybody listens to this podcast just to hear your voice anyway, Steve. So. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, th I mean, I think one of the main cases Pastor John would make, he actually has a, an article where you can read on Desiring God why he prefers this. But I think the, the main reason he prefers is because it's, it's really the biblical term. When you look at the word ethne, uh, it shows up all the time in the New Testament, and you go to those texts that Bruce just talked about, Revelation 5, Revelation 7, uh, ethnicity, which kind of encapsulates culture, uh, is, is a better way, to, is a better way to, to look at how the Bible views people groups than race, which is really uh, more of a, a social construct that's been created uh, 
over time. And so I think I think that's that's the reason. And I think that there's a uh, I'd say not only is ethnic important, but I'd say the harmony part is important because what we've loved at Bethlehem is that God is not a tribal God. He's not a, a God of one nation. He's a God of the whole world. And therefore, the gospel is a gospel for the whole world. And when we talk about harmony, what we're, what we're assuming is that every culture is going to have parts of it that honor God in beautiful and unique ways that we want to celebrate. Yeah. And every culture is going to have uh, things built in that just dishonor God that we want to repudiate. And ethnic harmony would say uh, Jew and Gentile uh, would come together and help each other uh, celebrate and repudiate those things. They And they might even sing a little bit different notes and a little bit different parts in the way they do that. But we're going to be united as one new man, one chosen race, one holy people in Christ. Amen. So what are some texts then that inform, um, you know, this idea of ethnic harmony and what we're, what we're talking about when we say we have a heart for, yes, the nations and also all peoples. And when Dave says, you know, uh, I think quoting Ephesians 2, you know, we're one new man. Um, what, are, what are some other texts that are foundational for this? Um, you go first. Um, I mean, several of them, but I, I just, I, I do like Ephesians 2. I mean, I already mentioned Revelation, so maybe Dave can expand on those if he wants. But uh, the big ra- racial, if you will, or ethnic divide in Paul's day was between Jew and Gentile. And the argument in the church then was whether it was even possible for Gentiles to become Christians without converting to Judaism first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a huge argument. So you had to kind of adopt Jewish culture or ethnicity before you could become a Christian in the minds of some back then. And Paul, of course, fought against this. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I think, uh, beginning of verse 11, mm-hmm. uh, talks to Gentiles says therefore remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hand so he's kind of reminding these any Jewish listeners that uh, you know this is just a outward ritualistic ceremony remember that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now so there's one of those great buts in the Bible Mm -hmm. but now in Christ you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ so he's encouraging Gentile believers no you don't have to become Jews first this ethnic boundary is crossed by Christ Um, in Christ we're all on the same ground before the cross Mm -hmm. no matter what our ethnic background is so Mm -hmm. that's one of my and I could go on there, but that's one of my favorite texts uh, that point to this. Yeah, yeah. I think of First Peter two. Um, I just preached on First Peter two, six through ten. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for His own possession. So the taking different titles for Israel and applying them not to one ethnic group, but to a multi-ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Indeed, like language, like one race. One people with a common ancestry, 
not a common ancestry, I think, by the flesh, but a common ancestry by mm-hmm. faith, mm-hmm. by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. What are some other texts out there, Dave? Yeah, Revelation 5 and 7 are big ones as far as God's heart for all the peoples. One of my favorites is actually in Romans 15. So if you, if you read the book of Romans and you see Paul dealing a lot with this Jew-Gentile thing, how, how, how are we going to go about um, doing this Christian thing together? And one of the reasons he's writing is he's trying to build support for the mission of Christ from both groups. And so not only is this an amazing theological treatise, but it's really a missionary letter saying, hey, let's get on the same page. And in, in chapter 15, uh, verses 5 to 7, which the context before that is chapter 14, in which he's just talked about how there's there's these conscience issues that are going to disagree and how they carry these things out. He says this in verses 5 to 7. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, there's our word, with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What I love about that passage is uh, he's bringing in all the major components. Like Bruce just said, uh, one in Christ, in accord with Christ. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you in the gospel. We're all made in the image of God. We've all fallen in sin, and Christ has saved all of us. There's this equal footing throughout. And then he gives the ultimate purpose of this unity and this harmony, which is the glory of God. So it's, it's important to keep that in mind in the day and age we live in where, where there's a lot talked about how, how do different people groups relate and, and the main, and it can become so man-centered. Yeah. And, and here at Bethlehem, it's, it's always been about the glory of God, the supremacy of God, the sufficiency of the gospel. And if we lose sight of that, then we lose, we lose sight of the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a great text that I go back to again and again in regards to the different ethnicities is actually in Revelation 21. So Revelation 21 has this beautiful picture of the new Jerusalem where there is no temple, but there's Mm -hmm. God the Father and the Lamb provide the light for the whole world. Um, And this interestingly uh, echoing Isaiah, the last several chapters of Isaiah, Mm -hmm. um, the Apostle John says this in Revelation 21, 22. I saw no temple in the city for for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. So whatever is glorious or honorable about the different ethnicities there in the New Jerusalem, and I think... It's probably reflecting culture and other things like that. All of it becomes subservient to the glory of God in the Lamb. So it's a mm-hmm. it's a of one piece, but I think that gets mm-hmm. to the idea that it can become very man-centered. Oh, look at what this culture has done, or look at what this ethnicity has done. Well, all of it in the end is going to be for the praise, honor, and glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, any other biblical texts off top of our heads that are important here as we talk about? Talk about ethnicity. Well, I, I think I was just thinking as Dave was speaking earlier about uh, Matthew 28 and the Great Commission oh, yeah. and where we get this concept of mm-hmm. all the nations go and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, 
which, of course, nations there in the Greek is ethne, where we get our term ethnic Mm -hmm. from. So God obviously has in mind to create a new people, and it was his good pleasure to create people of all different skin colors, all different facial shapes, all different uh, uh, ethnic backgrounds all over the world. This was his idea, and it's his idea to bring them all to being unified in Christ at the cross in a new kingdom, a new, hev- a new heaven and a new earth where we're all going to be united around his glory. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So it glorifies God. When we talk about the glorif- uh, glory of God, it has pleased him to glorify himself in this yeah. diverse way. And so I think we need to submit to that. And, and sometimes I think the church has seen these you know, we use Matthew 28 as a, uh, the Great Commission as, as a motivation for missions to go over to these foreign peoples and take the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. But I think we see in our country today, God is bringing the nations to our own neighborhoods and our own doorsteps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we should be open to realize this is God's work doing this. Amen. The only other text I would add, just when it comes to uh, practically, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, well, what do I do? So what should I do? What does the Bible call me to? And I think James is a really helpful text. Uh, we preached on it in our Ethnic Harmony sermon this last January. And the command I preached on it is just so simple, and it gives us these really clear uh, places to kind of hang our hats with what do we do. And, and the negative side is show no partiality. So as, as believers who believe the total depravity of, of sinners and, and know that we still have sin in our own hearts and it's deceitful and wicked. We should always be searching our own hearts and asking the Lord to reveal, not just with, with ethnicity, but economics and, and all sorts of areas. You know, where, where do I have partiality? Where do I prefer yeah, yeah. people like me uh, and, and not prefer people not like me? And then he gives the other side of the coin right away in that passage to say, so, so what do you do? And he says, well, you fulfill the royal law. That is, the, the, I think, the law of the king, the, the law of the new kingdom of King Jesus, which is love your neighbor as yourself. So if I was going to, if people were going to say, well, what, what do you want us to do? I would say, man, I hope that you're searching yourself for partiality in your own heart, being honest about that. And I hope that in your sphere of influence, in your neighborhood, uh, at your coffee shop, at your place of employment, you're going, how do I love my neighbor as myself and I think if we all did that there would be kind of an aroma of the gospel that would be spreading throughout the south suburbs and to the nations because maybe God calls you maybe God does use Matthew 28 to call you to the nations but he's certainly calling all of us wherever we are to love our neighbor as ourselves so with some of the scriptural foundations now kind of underneath us um, so the Bible has these categories of ethnicity and then uh, talks and speaks to like not having partiality and Christians ought not have partiality on the basis of anything, including skin color or ethnicity. Um, well, there's certainly other viewpoints in our culture that contradict what the Bible speaks to. And specifically, we, you know, you hear a lot about critical race theory, especially um, since the foundation of the Black Lives Matter um, organization. So Bruce, Talk about critical race theory a little bit. Why do we think that this contrasts or contradicts the biblical foundations that we just talked about? 
Yeah, maybe I'll start with some things that we can all agree on, probably those of us in the church and those in the world. I think the death of George Floyd has sparked some new and bold conversations that probably need to happen out of this. Um, I think it's also pointed out that, and we can all get a sense that there's something wrong in our culture. We're not in agreement about how to solve it and fix it, but there's something wrong. Um, and I think it's also fair to say that the church does not have necessarily a very good track record on dealing with issues of ethnicity and race and so forth. Mm. But I do think you're right, Daniel, we're seeing a widespread acceptance in the country, in this, in the, out there in the world, uh, of solutions that are rooted more in progressive secular thinking and ideologies, and they're not compatible with scripture, and that's causing a lot of angst to our people. Yeah. So here's, I mean, we're going to talk more about this critical race theory and dive into some details about how it functions as a worldview and how they redefine terms that we're all using so that we're often talking past each other when we're talking with people about this. Um, but for now, I'll just kind of at the 30,000 foot level, I'll, I'll just say that um, if you take the narrative of scripture and historically theologians have kind of broadly painted the narrative of scripture as being creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. So you can think of it in those categories and that'll give you just kind of a broad outline of what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. So creation, God creates, fall, God creates, man yes. falls away, man Christ falls comes. Yeah, redemption, and then consummation, Christ will come again. Christ will come again. There'll be a new heaven and a new yep, earth yep. wherein dwells righteousness and so forth. So if we take those broad categories and we line up what critical race theory is teaching as a worldview, uh, first of all, uh, some would argue that critical race theory has no creation story, and perhaps that's true. Um, I think evolution is a good uh, creation story for them because it's a godless way of bringing the world into being. Um, their fall is defined as oppression. So dominant groups are oppressing minority groups and so we have this constant oppressor-oppressed dynamic going on and that's their version of the fall. Uh, redemption is uh, people coming to realize this kind of oppression is going on. The modern term colloquial term for that is woke people become woke to what's going on and work to fix it so it becomes a works-based redemptive strategy where i have to read i have to educate myself i have to become an activist in these racial issues to try to bring justice and the consummation for them i would call social justice so we see that term uh, thrown around a lot, but they're seeking kind of a utopian, just, by their definition of justice, a just society where there is no oppression. And to get there, we have to overthrow every system in civilization that does not line up or is even perceived to oppress others in any way, shape, or form. So their, their end game is to dismantle, deconstruct, Re, uh, revolt against however you want to call it. And this is where the term cultural Marxism comes in because this is the very kind of thing Karl Marx um, 
argued for in his works is revolution. We need to deconstruct all the modern institutions of civilization and reconstruct them in some kind of utopian, oppressionless society. That's their end game. They don't necessarily define what that is or how they're going to do that. Right now, they're at the let's tear it all down stage. So so that's how I would, at the 30,000-foot level, talk about how critical race theory is a worldview, or it has become a worldview, that directly contradicts scripture's overall narrative. Yeah, yeah, and specifically, I think about like the the anthropology, the doctrine of man, or beliefs about mankind that that holds is you know in contrast to what we would say, uh, and I think uh, you know essentially all Christians would say is that at the fall, mankind was shot through with sin, and that passed on to all of Adam's and Eve's descendants, as opposed to an anthropology that. Um, does not say that everyone uh, is shot through with sin, but instead the good, the the two sides of good and evil are really based along people groups and oppressed and oppressor. This even goes back to liberation theology, some of the works you know, written in the mid twentieth century, um, kind of uh, predate critical race theory, but especially in Christian circles, have fed into. Um, many things thinking about uh, anthropology and a doctrine of mankind. Um, what else is worth talking about here, Dave, as far as just what's out there in the world and what's out there in the culture in our current cultural moment? Yeah, I mean, I appreciated Bruce's balance to say that we've certainly got work to do as a church to understand things better, and, and we don't want to do that work with worldly systems. I mean, one, th- one thing I'd say about everything Bruce said is that uh, it's really it's really easy in these moments uh, as, as Christians to kind of take an us versus them posture. Yeah. And as I think about these theories, I would say the main thing I feel is, is sadness because if you think about what consummation is, uh, I mean, that, that's just not very hopeful. You know, even when you get to the point of, of achieving all you have, you know, there's still... There's still cancer in the world. There's still there's still other all sorts of other kinds of brokenness. And man, what a it just highlights how good our living hope is that we have this inheritance coming. And so I want to call people not to an us versus them mentality, but man, let's let's shine the beauty of the gospel and the harmony that we can have together, especially uh, in the consummation where we get to be around the throne forever with yeah. our inheritance, worshiping. Christ. I mean, that, that, that's what we're after. And so I think, I think it's helpful. And I would encourage people, I don't think Bruce said the date, August 12th, we're going to talk about these things. And I would say, we don't want to talk about them just to say, well, here's where we are and here's where the world is. And, and as an us versus them, but we want to, want to know these things so we know how to engage people and point them to a better hope, point to them to a, a true living hope that can last. Because that's that's what we're longing for. We all, we all want hope. We all want, uh, we all have this longing uh, for that. And so I, I just want to encourage us as a people, let's engage these things. Let's go after them and, and let's do it with a, a view towards bringing people to the hope of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Bruce said it. I mean, the, the hope of uh, many with progressive um, kind of politics or identity politics is to eventually arrive at utopia. And as Christians, we would say, there's no utopia without Christ Amen. coming again. Amen. Yeah. So we cannot we cannot have a utopia 
here on earth when death continues to reign over all the children of Adam and Eve. Um, you know, whatever we might do with our government systems and other things like that. Well, brothers, are there any other resources that we would um, maybe commend for the sake of people listening to this podcast? You got two, three resources we commend together? Yeah, I think uh, I would highly recommend uh, Neil Shevney's website, shevneyapologetics.com. That's S-H-E-V-N-I, apologetics.com. A lot of good resources there on critical race theory and uh, contrasting that with a scriptural worldview. I do recommend George Yancey's book, Beyond Racial Gridlock, if you want a, a, a good point of view from a black Christian uh, scholar. I think he does a pretty good job. I, I think um, a little bit of quibble maybe with some of his definitions of terms, but other than that, he really approaches it from a solid gospel-centered way of looking at it and evaluate some of the other um, racial harmony theories that are out there. A couple of Al Mohler podcasts, his briefing podcasts, I think one on June 18th. So if you go to his website, almohler.com, and you look uh, at June 18th, he did a real good show on Black Lives Matter and distinguishing between Uh, The sentence, Black Lives Matter, they do matter because they're created in the image of God, no less than anyone else, and Black Lives Matter is an organization and what they stand for. So excellent show there. And then another one on June 24th where he talks about systemic or structural racism and liberation theology, and I think he does a real good job handling those two subjects. So those are some resources I'd recommend. Two that I'd recommend would be First, a uh, relatively recent talk, we linked to it in our Ethnic Harmony um, document, Identity Politics and the Death of Christian Unity, uh, which was a talk at Together for the Gospel this last year um, that Jonathan Lehman gave. Then going all the way back to 2008, Thabiti and Abibwe at the 2008 Together for the Gospel conference gave a great message on the difference between race and ethnicity. Race as a a construct uh, that's been used in ethnicity as a biblical term and category. So bearing the image, identity, the work of Christ and the church um, was kind of my first introduction to races uh, you know, being being used in different ways than ethnicity is in the Bible. So that's a, a great resource. Thanks for joining us today, Bruce. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.